You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DNB Supply Show. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, and thank you so much for being here with us again today. Well, today we've got a really fun episode for you. As a matter of fact, not just a fun episode, but a very fun episode to make. We get to profile a group of people that is so key to our Western lifestyle and the history of our Western lifestyle here in Eastern Oregon and Southwest Idaho. And I am talking about the Basque and everybody who immigrated from Basque country all throughout the last 100, 150 years. Today, I get to do a fun interview. I got to do it on location at the Basque Museum and Cultural Center in downtown Boise with Annie Gavika. And Annie is going to talk to us about the museum, about Basque culture, but also about two special exhibits that really drew my attention and that I wanted to profile that are going on right now through the middle of April, and then they'll be replaced by new exhibits. The first one is called Abert Soliak, and it's all about the military service of people from Basque country or born in the United States of Basque heritage and how they've served in the military, not just for the United States, but all over the world throughout their history. And the next one or the second one is Estereoscopico, and that is a series of three-dimensional photographs that were taken in Basque Country in the early 1900s, which were really, really interesting to look at. It was great to go to this wonderful museum and to see everything that it has to offer and how it all works. So we'll have that coming up for you here in just a moment. Annie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to this interview. And I want to say thank you preemptively for the great tour. You're uh, very welcome. You bet. I, what a fantastic set of displays and what a fantastic museum just right here in downtown Boise. Yeah, we have a really great staff and lots of great support from the community and both Basque and non-Basque. So we are really able to showcase some wonderful things. Yeah, that's great. Well, you know what I'd like to do is I'd just like to start off by having you just introduce yourself to our audience a little bit. Tell us who you are and what you do here. Sure. My name is Annie Gavika, and I'm the executive director of the Basque Museum and Cultural Center, which is a traditional history museum showcasing Basque culture and traditions, both in the Basque country and in the United States and kind of their migration, as well as a cultural center. So we have all sorts of fun programming and classes as well. Well, our listening audience for this uh, is based from Pendleton, Oregon, all the way down to Twin Falls. So I'm assuming that uh, there's a lot of Basque people within our listening audience. There are all over the Oregon area, um, throughout southern Idaho, and even into Nevada and California. There are various Basque populations. Boise is pretty unique that it has a very active Basque community, but you can find little pockets of Basque communities throughout the Western United States. Now, let's hear your story. So how did you become executive director here? It's an interesting one, actually. I was born and raised in another Basque community in northern Nevada, actually. I grew up Basque dancing and part of the culture in Winnemucca, of all places, Mm -hmm. and uh, decided when I was probably 12 or 13 that I wanted to Basque dance with the Boise dancers. At that time, they were famous to me in my mind, I guess. My parents said that, you know, maybe you should think about college or something a little more stable along those lines. And so I decided to come to Boise State University 
I studied uh, Spanish literature and Basque, and so I have a minor in Basque studies. And I worked at the Basque preschool here, Boise Coy Castola, for a little while, and then started at the Basque Museum as the education director, doing programming and school tours and different things. And then three years ago, I was asked to take on the role of executive director. So that is what brings me to today. Well, you mentioned Winnemucca. Two of my favorite restaurants in the world are in Winnemucca, and they're both Basque. Yes. I love the Martin and yes. the Armachias. Yes. Both of them are very, very good Basque restaurants and places I grew up going to. Yeah. Well, you've got a wonderful museum here. You know, I, I'm almost ashamed to say that today was my first visit oh, no. to the museum. But <laughs> That's what, all right. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you. We really. appreciate that. I think that people that, that live here in, in the area, uh, within the sound of our voices, if they've never been to your museum, they are going to be unbelievably pleasantly surprised when they do visit. I hope so. Yeah. We love to show, show it off to anybody that wants to come in. Yeah. So. Really well done. Yeah. So how many visitors do you get a year? It depends on the year. Um, last year, I would say it was close. It was just under about 15,000. Uh, not a huge amount. We've been slowly growing, which is nice. The city of Boise and other tourist groups try and bring people to our museum. So it's slowly growing. And then every five years, we more than double during the High Aldi Basque Festival. So oh, wow. 2020 is the next one. So we anticipate 35,000 people coming through the museum over the course of mostly one week. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Do you have to bring on extra staff for that? We have lots of volunteers that work tirelessly for us for sure. <laughs> yeah. A lot of extra help. Boise, uh, as we were talking earlier, kind of off the air, Boise is, if it's not already, it's becoming like the epicenter of bass culture in the United States. Yeah. Just like you said in Lincoln, you found out that's where your epicenter of your ancestry yeah, is. Right. Boise is kind of become an unofficial epicenter in the United States anyway. A lot of people visit here and we're very fortunate to have a whole block in downtown Boise dedicated to the culture, cultural center, the museum, Basque restaurants, music and dance groups that all kind of base here on the block. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's pretty a literal epicenter of Basque culture. Well, and when we were talking earlier uh, while we were doing our tour, we interrupted you or you were just finishing up doing job interviews for people for the your preschool. Yes. And those job interviews were being done online from the Basque country in Spain. Yeah. Thank goodness for technology, right? <laughs> we um, have had one of the biggest years uh, as far as Ecostola or the Basque preschool teacher applications. We had nearly 70 applicants, which is unheard of in our in our past years. Teachers, we bring two over from the Basque country every year that have um, teaching backgrounds. And so they work with our preschool kids to prep them for kindergarten in an American school. But hopefully when they start school at five or six, they're also bilingual in Basque and English. And you were saying that teachers in Spain, they've heard so much about Boise, they want to come over here and work and see what it's all about. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of people, teachers, non-teachers, that are very curious about the Boise area in general because it is a wonderful place. Lots of outdoor things and also kind of a you know, city feel, mm -hmm. but also this unique Basque culture. And so they always want to come and check out why there's a Basque population in mm -hmm. Boise, Idaho, of all places, 
which they could hardly find on a map. They don't know where Idaho is most of the time. So they're, they're intrigued by what they find. And so, yeah, they're very interested in participating in some way. Well, let's do this. I have to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, let's talk about how all these people from Basque Country wound up here in our, uh, within the sound of our voice. Sounds great. No matter where work takes you, D&B Supply makes it easy to get the job done with DeWalt FlexVolt Tools. With advanced battery technology, DeWalt FlexVolt Tools gives you the power of freedom to work without cords. For construction, remote job sites, and outdoor projects, the heavy-duty FlexVolt line offers everything from hammer drills to table saws to air compressors and more. So get out there and get to work with DeWalt FlexVolt Power Tools, available at your favorite D&B Supply. It's a pretty super life here at D&B Supply, even for dogs and cats, because we now carry Wildology, the only pet food with Super Life Pro, a live probiotic blended with superfoods. Wildology is filled with the good stuff your pet needs to support a healthy body and immune system, like wholesome proteins, kale, chia seeds, and blueberries, because a healthy pet makes for a happy pet. Unleash your pet's superpower and pick up Wildology cat and dog food at your favorite D&B Supply. All right. Well, Annie, now that we're back, let's talk about this area that we're broadcasting to all the way from Eastern Oregon down through the Magic Valley and and beyond really with our podcast. Why are there so many people from Spain, from Basque Country here in this region of the Intermountain West? Yeah. So at the time of Basque immigration here in the Western United States, uh, sheep herding especially, but agriculture in general was booming. Mm-hmm. And Basques heard about an opportunity in the United States to earn some money. They didn't need to know English to do some of these jobs or have a specific skill set or level of education. And so heard from somebody who heard from somebody else that they could make some money working in sheep herding mostly, but also cattle ranching. And so they made their way to the Western United States and worked for various companies or farms or ranches from, as I said, Oregon down to California and clear over to places like Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, mm-hmm. everywhere. And so that is how most of them came to this area and then eventually established themselves in the various communities. And did most of the people who initially immigrated, did they already have experience working with sheep and with cattle, or is that something they learned once they got here? For most of them, they were learning those skills when they arrived. Some of them might have been from a small farm in the Basque Country, maybe had six to a dozen sheep of their mm-hmm. on their family farm, but many others were from fishing villages or or towns and so didn't have any any experience whatsoever and so had to learn very quickly. So even the people who had experience with sheep when they got over into the western U.S. and saw the bands of sheep that we run here had to be blown away. Yeah, there's a big difference between a dozen sheep and (laughs) a couple thousand sheep. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. Well, we always like to highlight our western culture and what makes what makes this area of of the country so special for us. And and I think that especially if if you're familiar with the Basque culture and everything that it, it means in terms of livestock grazing and kind of opening up the West. I mean, it's a very, very significant part of our story. It really, really is. And um, there were a lot of established farmers and ranchers here that took a chance on hiring this immigrant population, not knowing what their skills were, 
But as they saw them working, they gained this reputation of being very hardworking and trustworthy. And so they saw that and knew that they had kind of struck it rich and so mm-hmm. would bring over more of their family or friends or or whatever. And that's yeah, kind of what brought them here and made agriculture and sheep herding specifically in this area so successful. Yeah, really some incredible stories. And of course, uh, one of the exhibits that that kind of drew my attention and wanted I wanted to do this interview now and talk about it before this exhibit was gone is one involving the service to our country in the military by Basque individuals who either immigrated or who were the, the sons and daughters of immigrants here in the United States. Can you talk about that exhibit a little bit? Absolutely. It's one of my favorites. Abert Saleak is what it is called, uh, which means patriots. And it's called, the subtitle is Sacrifice and Honor, which is exactly exactly that. It talks a little bit about um, Basques taking part in the U.S. military is kind of the main pieces from World War II to the Vietnam War to current day, but also has some stories of Basques that served in the Spanish military or the French militaries Mm -hmm. as well to tell those pieces of the story. And uh, they're very unique individual stories of everyone here. Many of them gained citizenship by being in the military, um, which they appreciated. Others felt that if they were going to live in this country, they felt that they could fight for this country as mm-hmm. well. And there's a great quote in our exhibit about that. But it tells some wonderful, very personal stories of all the different families and their different situations. Yeah, and the array of all the different wars in the 20th century. Absolutely. From World War One to Two, mm-hmm. Vietnam, Korea, all the way up through everything that's gone on in Afghanistan and Iraq. Exactly. Yeah, a little bit of everything. Really interesting stuff in there. And, you know, something that stood out to me is a, a few books I've read about World War Two, and especially in pertaining to people who grew up in the West and farmed and ranched and things like that, how sergeants and lieutenants love to get soldiers off of farms and ranches because, well, because they'd been shooting their whole lives. They'd been hunting. They could shoot straight. They could handle being accurate under pressure. Although Mm -hmm. shooting at, you know, coyote or something like that, or a deer is a little different. It's not shooting back, but that was something they really valued. But something I learned today in your museum is that, uh, they really valued people from the West who'd grown up or who had worked on farms and ranches because of their ability to drive large equipment and therefore, they would all go to the tank corps because they had experience driving this large equipment. Yeah, you sometimes don't think about those skills that you learn in a rural setting. Mm-hmm. Um, driving a truck and horse trailer as a kid was normal for me, but I didn't realize everybody else did that. <laughs> and same for these guys. They learned how to run farms and ranches, and those skills transferred over to military experience mm-hmm. and really, really helped in various ways, yeah. Yeah, if you think about it, in the nineteen late 1930s, early 1940s, somebody who came out of, say, New York City, they may have never even driven a car. Absolutely. But somebody who came out of Rupert, Idaho, they might have driven very large tractors or something like that. Yeah, there's something to be said about skills from living in a small community. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's take another break, and then when we come back, I want to talk more about Albert Soliak. You wear jeans, but you live in Levi's. At D&B Supply, we've got a pair to fit you just right. Iconic and hardworking, Levi's are legendary. Worn by cowboys, rock stars, and everyday people, we carry different washes, styles, and sizes for both men and women. These jeans are ready for anything your day brings, from working outside to a night on the town. 
The denim legacy lives on every time you put them on. So pick up some Levi's at D&B. For work, play, or a little bit of both this winter, stop by D&B Supply for Wrangler gear. From flannel line jeans to stylish shirts and jackets, fit for the field or a night out, Wrangler has you covered. Established in 1947 with the spirit of courageous individuality, Wrangler apparel is designed to last and look good to boot. With new styles and great fits, it's clothing that wears well no matter what the season or what life throws at it. So stop by your favorite D&B and get covered this winter in Wrangler gear. All right. Right. Well, Annie, now that we're back, there was another exhibit I saw in there about the war that was really interesting, and it pertains to our Western lifestyle out here in Idaho and Oregon. And that was an individual who was drafted into World War II, uh, actually from northern Nevada, uh, who worked on a ranch in northern Nevada, had a lot of experience with horses. And all of a sudden, that experience became very valuable, and it landed him in India, of all places, during World War II, doing a lot of work with horses and mules and and packing and, and things like that. Yeah, like I said earlier, uh, sometimes we take advantage of some of the skills that we learn growing up and how those might translate into into other skills in the military or mm-hmm. later on in life. And for for him coming from a ranch in, in Nevada, being able to travel the world because of his horse skills is unfathomable in some cases. And so he really had a unique opportunity and able to serve his country in a very unique way. Yeah. Yeah. There was another, another gentleman I read about who uh, was over in Europe when Mount Vesuvius erupted. I had no idea Mount Vesuvius erupted during World War II. Yeah. But how would you like to be in the middle of a war and then have a volcano erupt? It would just be like, what else can go <laughs> Completely wrong? different level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, where did the idea to highlight the military service of Basque immigrants come from? It was actually part of a project, a larger project that um, one of our staff members, a former executive director here, Patty Miller, was working on. She shifted positions to focus on what we call the Community History Project, uh, received from some very generous funding and wanted to focus on Basques in individual towns. So I, I believe their first town that they started on was Emmett, Idaho. And the goal there was to find the main families in the town, do interviews with someone in those family, in each of those families, gather some information, uh, photos, whatever they might, might want to share, and then be able to tell a very specific story about those towns. And as they're gathering all of this information, they're seeing a lot of military service. So they also had another researcher that's working with them that goes through uh, World War One and Two draft cards mm-hmm. and picks out all the Basque names and organizes all of those. So had another way or another resource to gain some information on military service as far as the Basques were concerned. And it became so large that they thought, well, this better be this may need to be showcased in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so that's how that grew. And it's still growing. We're about to take the exhibit down and we're still receiving photos and information. So we're um, working with some interns at Boise State to um, put kind of translate that whole exhibit into an online exhibit. So people will still be able to add to it, learn about it and see some of the interesting stories. Once it's taken down, it'll be put online. Well, there's so many neat artifacts in there as well, including medals, 
weapons. Uh, at least I saw a bayonet knife. Uh, there's uniforms. There's really a lot of stuff that people have preserved and yeah. are allowing you to use. Yeah, we have some very generous supporters in many different ways. And bringing in a flag that was maybe presented to a family member at a funeral, mm-hmm. um, dog tags, medals, various medals, um, and everything in between. It's it's amazing, and it adds something so personal to each of the stories or pictures that you might see in the exhibit. Yeah, there was a series of telegrams that had been sent to a family about their son, I assume, uh, being captured in yeah. Germany. There's there's a series of four telegrams that says that they couldn't find, the first one couldn't find the son, he was MIA. Uh, the second one says they oh, found him, but he's been captured. And then maybe there's only three. And then the third one says, we found him, he's on his way home. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Really fascinating stuff. Well, how long uh, do folks have to be able to see uh, this exhibit and to highlight all the military service of Basque individuals? Yeah. Albert Saleak is actually coming down at the very beginning of uh, April. The first week of April, we'll be taking it down to prep for another exhibit that'll be going in at the end of April. Okay. So by the time this airs, they've probably got uh, a little over a month uh, to be able to come and see that really really fascinating stuff let's talk about another exhibit uh, that's going on estereoscopico perfect you said it exactly right (laughs) thank goodness tell us what this is and by the way this was a surprise for me today but fascinating fascinating yeah we were really lucky to uh, meet up with one of the granddaughter of the artist that took these photos and they're stereoscopic photos and it's the format in which you take them. It's two of the same photo from two slightly different angles. Um, You usually have to have some sort of machine to look at it like the old viewfinders that we had growing up, but an old version of that. But because modern technology and nobody has those contraptions anymore to see them, they've added blue and red coloring to them, overlap them, and we then can put on the really cool blue and red 3D glasses Mm -hmm. and view them in a similar way as what they would have done 100 years ago. So these photographs were taken, some a little more, a little less than 100 years ago, but they're all throughout um, the Basque country, specifically the Bilbao area in Biscaya, which is mostly where the Basques in this area are from. So it has that extra connection. But it tells kind of just a different story of the Basques and their history in a very unique way. Very cool. Well, let's take another break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you more about those photos. All right. Know what boots work as hard as you do? Georgia boots. And you'll find a great selection at D&B Supply. If you're on your feet all day, Georgia boots knows the feeling. That's why they've designed exclusive comfort systems that cushion and support down to the bottom of your soles. While on the surface, they shield you from tough conditions with one of the most durable leathers out there. See why they earned the nickname of America's hardest working boots and pick up a pair of Georgia boots at your favorite D&B supply. The chicken or the egg? D&B knows what comes first. It's Neutrina NatureWise Layer Chicken Feed, which leads to both a healthier chicken and fresh, hard-shelled eggs. With over 90 years of experience raising healthy poultry, Neutrina NatureWise gives your hens wholesome, natural nutrition they can sink their beaks into. Free-range and home-raised flocks gobble this expertly designed and formulated layer feed in pellets and crumbles. So flock to your favorite D&B supply to pick up a bag of Neutrina NatureWise Layer Chicken Feed for balanced nutrition. 
All right, Annie. Well, we were just talking before the break. We were talking about a stereoscopico and really fascinating three-dimensional photographs that you can come and look at. And I found myself as I was looking at these, there's one in particular of a downtown area with people all over the street. And I kept trying to walk around the picture to see around the corner. It was really fascinating 3D. Do you have a favorite in there? I have a couple. That's one of them, I would say. And then on the opposite wall, actually, there's a picture of an older gentleman. And his arm looks like he is coming right out of the wall. His arm's almost reaching out for you. It's very, very interesting. I've had a few uh, school students say it reminds them of Hogwarts and Harry Potter. (laughs) So that's interesting to see different perspectives on it. And I'm a, I'm a cattle person. I love to raise cattle. And there's some great photographs in there of both oxen and cattle. Absolutely. Uh, pulling carts with oxen, moving cattle out in the fields, and, and really fascinating cultural things in there to, to view and, and to see how this is done. And when were those photographs taken? Those were taken kind of a range of time in the early 1900s. I think, think, think some of the last ones were taken in the early 40s, 1940s. Yeah, really, really interesting stuff. There's also a photograph of the photographer with 3D glasses on. I assume you did some editing to make that happen. We did not. It was given to us that way. Someone <laughs> else did the editing, yes. Okay, very, very interesting. And so how long will you have that exhibit up for? So a stereoscopico will be coming down in the middle part of April. The um, artist that we connected with are his granddaughter and her husband are actually traveling here from the Basque country and going to give a presentation on the methods and the photographer in general and the exhibit. And then we'll take it down a couple days after that. Okay. So let's talk about Basque culture in the West and what, I guess, how big a part of our culture and our Western lifestyle Basque people have been. It depends on where people live, but I would say in rural parts of Idaho, Oregon, Nevada, especially the Basque communities and cultures have been very large part of the agricultural cultures specifically mm-hmm. involved as sheep herders, uh, eventually businessmen and women, politicians and other l- various leaders. And as generations go, they continue to branch out into various parts of American culture. And you may not notice because their married name might not be a Basque name, but their family or their ancestry might have some Basque connections. And in terms of the whole, I, the whole ideal of the American dream, there's, there's a ton of stories in the museum of people coming through Ellis Island and immigrating. There's even photographs where they've got a placard in front of them with their names, uh, where they immigrated to Boise, Idaho, Mountain Home, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really interesting. But there's, there's kind of a special story that's special for the city of Boise that involves a boarding house that people can tour when that's open. Yeah, can you tell us that story? Absolutely. It's one of my favorites. Um, there's Part of our museum is a restored Basque boarding house, this little brick building that doesn't look like much from the outside, but has so many stories on the inside. Um, it was owned by the Uberaga family and run as a boarding house for a long time, about 40 years. And they had many sheep herders that stayed there and then would go and work in the summer and return in the winter time. So they received a lot of their letters. It was kind of their mail stop, their second home. And one of the letters is recorded so you can listen to it upstairs in, in the boarding house from Lorenzo Garamendia. And he talks in this letter, he's writing to his father 
uh, about how much he misses the Basque country. And mm-hmm. they're probably celebrating festival time there. And he's almost freezing to death in late mm-hmm. August in the hills of Idaho, watching over all of these sheep. Uh, he tells them about his goal is to stay here for a few years, make a lot of money, and hopefully return home to his family. We later know in in his life story, he doesn't. He meets someone here in the area, gets married, and has a family. And his family has been connected to the area for a very long time. And his grandson is the mayor of Boise, Mayor Beter. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so that is the... Uh the American dream coming here and planning your stake. Absolutely. Kinda, and then yeah. generations later uh, leading the largest city in the, in the state. Yeah. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. Really interesting story. All right. Well, let's take one final break. And when we come back, I want to know more about festivals, Hialdi and the way people can participate in this culture uh, right here in Boise. Great. Feeding your pets lifelong health starts with science, and that's exactly what's behind Hills Science Diet. Made by vets, scientists, and nutritionists, Hills Science Diet offers biology-based nutrition for all pets with formulas for every age, size, and special requirement or need, like joint health and weight loss that create differences you can see, feel, and trust. No wonder it's the number one veterinarian-recommended pet food. So pick up Hills Science Diet at D&B Supply today. Know when they say good fences make good neighbors? When you've got Balin Country gates and panels to really fence your livestock in. Also, when you let your neighbor in on the great deals you can find on Balin Country at D&B. Made from steel and designed for stamina, Balin Country gates and panels are tested to match up to robust ranch life. So instead of mending all those fences, round up a whole new one with Balin Country at D&B Supply. Well, Annie, let's talk about High Aldi really quick and in other festivals and other ways that folks from around the region can participate in this wonderful culture right here in, in Boise and beyond. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. High Aldi is the biggest one. Uh, it'll be in the end of July of 2020. The committee that puts it together is all volunteer-based, based out of the Basque Center, which is another organization on the Basque Block. They bring over uh, musicians and dancers and some other groups from the Basque Country, as well as local dance groups, groups from California, Oregon, throughout the West. And participate. you can participate over the course of usually four or five days and see dancing, music. They bring athletes over from the Basque Country to participate in traditional Basque sports. And just about everything in between. We have food vendors and drinks. It's not only on the Basque Block, but they also have Expo Idaho in Garden City rented for two days. And you're able to participate in various pieces of the culture. There are loads of people that come over from the Basque Country mm-hmm. to see see what how we're celebrating the culture and people from all over the United States that are interested in participating in a cultural event. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that and you mentioned earlier about our conversation before we started the interview about me going to Lincoln, Nebraska. So why in the world would a person go to Lincoln, Nebraska? Well, for me, there's a lot of of my heritage. There's a museum very similar uh, to yours in Lincoln, Nebraska for my my culture, Germans who immigrated from Russia, which is a special sect of Germans who had settled in Russia, then ultimately left and, and came to the United States of America. And Lincoln is kind of the epicenter of that. But I went all the way to Lincoln to see that museum. You've got people coming all the way from Spain to see 
Absolutely. Yeah. They want to see the American take on a Basque culture and tradition. So they want to see what they're celebrating and how it might be different than what we're celebrating. And what we might focus on is different than what they would focus on or different traditions or Mm -hmm. how things maybe have changed throughout time and generations from being right from the Basque country versus over here and how other influences have come to change things up as well. So it's really a fun, a fun event for families, old, young, everyone in between. There's something for everyone. So it's really, really an enjoyable week. Well, and I've got to ask about the World Cup. This just dawned on me, but there was three-dimensional photographs of soccer going on uh, in the yes. museum. But during the World Cup, does uh, does the Basque block kind of get a little buzz to it? It's It depends on who you ask. Okay. Because there are some Basque players that will play for the Spanish team. Um, but a lot of the people from this area are from the province of Biscaya, near Bilbao area. Um, and so they like to root for Athletic Bilbao, which is uh, a team that is a little over 100 years old now. Mm-hmm. And the rule for their team is you have to be Basque to be on that team. Okay. So they don't have any other uh, other people on the other team. And they've never been relegated from the first division in Spain's league. And so people take quite a bit of pride in that. Mm-hmm. So they'll cheer for them. So if those players don't then necessarily play on the Spanish team... They don't pay as much attention to the World Cup, or maybe they'll have another favorite team that they support as well. Well, what other festivals? So oh, we talked about Hialdi. What else goes on? Yeah, so Hialdi is only every five years. It takes some major time and effort to put it on. And so in the interim, the end of July, every summer, we have a small festival on the Basque Block here in Boise. Mm-hmm. Again, by the same organization that does Hialdi just next to us. They put on just a two-day event where uh, it's mostly just local dance groups and music groups perform, but anybody can come and watch, take part, have some food and drink. They sometimes have some pala or handball games, which are games with played with a ball and racket on a wall, mm-hmm. and again, you get to take part in the food and the drink, so every, everybody wins there. <laughs> And see some of the traditional dancing that has been in this area for more than 60 years at this point. And is that is that a time when people will bring down, say, sheep wagons and things like that and put them here on, on Grove Street? Yeah, um, there's a small group here. The Cato Campo Club is what they call themselves. Different families that have collected or acquired sheep wagons and have redone them or preserved them. And they'll bring a few of them onto the block for people to look at, climb into, maybe check them out a little bit and show that part of the sheep herding culture mm-hmm. that brought everybody over here to begin with. And, and of, now, cor- of course you have one in your museum. Yes, we do. It takes up a lot of room, but it is very <laughs> cool and a great opportunity to educate people on the culture. Well, for people who might want to come to Boise and come to the museum and, and learn more about this great culture, uh, for them, how should they find it when they come into town if they're not familiar with downtown Boise? Sure. So a quick Google search for the Basque Museum and Cultural Center will get you here pretty quickly. We're on 6th and Grove Street, about four blocks away from the Capitol building. So it's not too difficult to find if you're just wandering around downtown Boise. 
But I would also encourage people to check out our website, basquemuseum.com or basquemuseum.eus will get you there. And it also lists all of our events that we have. We have programming, different programming every month as educational presentations, cooking classes, various events that people can participate in. It'll also have our hours, but we are open typically Tuesday through Saturday uh, for the entire year. And we have guided tours of our boarding house on Saturdays and every day in the summer. But you can come into the museum anytime Tuesday through Saturday and wander through and check it all out. Well, thank you so much for the tour today. And thank you very much for sitting down with us and sharing this. Es que ricasco. Thank you very much. Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the D&B Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.